Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by championship-winning crew chief, also one of the best analysts in the entire sport, Jeff Hammond, is going to stop by. We'll talk to Jeff and get his insights from inside the NASCAR community and also go back in time, and he'll tell us about the six championships he was a part of throughout his NASCAR career. All that and more coming up on today's show. David, appreciate the time. As always, man, you're hanging out in Vegas still. Tell us about the previous race weekend and what you're up to this week, man. Well, man, you know, we, we raced here in Las Vegas on Saturday. Didn't have a very good race. Uh, uh, didn't have a chance to change the seat in my car. I was a little bit uncomfortable with this car. Carl, Carl Long decided to run a Ford. We ran a Ford instead of our, our Toyota Supra. And, uh, man, a lot of changes for us. But all in all, car was pretty good. It, uh, it, was fa- it was fast. It handled good. We made some adjustments during the pit stops. But, uh, man, just, uh, just didn't have any luck fall our way. We, uh, we, were gonna, we got lap and was going to take a, a wave around to get back on the lead lap. And then we didn't have enough fuel to do that. And next thing you know, at the end, towards the end of the race, we set safe as a new set of tires and, they had a wreck on the back straightaway. I think a couple leaders got together and uh, was no big deal. I was off the gas, got past it, was getting back in the gas, got hit from behind. And, man, that new set of tires lasted two laps. And, and uh, so once we came back in and put on a set of scuffs, we were just trying to get to the end of the race. It just wasn't one of our better races, but, uh, you know, it just sometimes that happens. And looking forward to getting to Phoenix and, uh, and, and uh, racing there. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, and this race uh, was won by A.J. Allmendinger. David, I know you've always liked A.J. and that, that Colin crew. Uh, you know, for him, it looks like he's figuring these ovals out here. Man, A.J.'s a great race car driver. Hey, just look at his career and what he's done. I mean, people consider him a, a road racing ace, but he's just very talented, no matter if it's a – mile and a half Daytona road courses, the guy can get it done, you know, and you put him in a colic race car. I mean, they, they got great equipment uh, affiliated with Richard Childress racing. He's always a guy when he's racing in the Xfinity series, he's always a guy that's going to, has a shot at winning and uh, wasn't a big surprise to see him win the race, you know, being out there with him and, and seeing how good he was, I wasn't surprised that he won the race, uh, but man, very talented, that team, that organization, you know, they're a, they're a championship caliber team, and uh, no surprise to me that A.J. won the race. Oh, yeah. And uh, for those that are listening out there, quick reminder that you can subscribe to Let's Go Racing with David Starr. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as the video version on YouTube. And if you're watching the video version, you can see Dominic Oregon in his water burger polo looking very bright and spiffy this week. Dominic, thanks for joining us as always. What's going on, man? Of course, Tyler. I'm really happy with this shirt that we have, the Whataburger <laughs> Polo. But no, really, there's some two cool milestones, I think, to pass along with everybody because we've been doing this now 15 episodes. I can't remember where I read this, but most podcasts that are on any kind of major platform, half of all podcasts don't even make it past the 14th episode. So guys, we're in that top half of podcasts. And then what was really cool over the weekend too, is we hit a hundred subscribers on YouTube. So we're, we're kind of brainstorming some ideas. We want to do something a little crazy and out there when we hit our thousandth subscriber. So give us some ideas, shoot us a message on Twitter or email us David star podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what crazy ideas you all might be able to cook up for us. That'd be great. We'd love to hear from you uh, on uh, those platforms, Facebook, Twitter, 
all that great stuff to uh, check out for more Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Our guest today is Jeff Hammond. He's been a part of six cup championships, also spent a couple decades with the NASCAR on Fox crew covering the sport uh, alongside Chris Myers and Daryl Waltrip and Larry Mack and several others. He's been all over this thing for a long time from both aspects. And he joins us right now. Before we bring in Jeff, David, I want you to take a second to introduce the folks to uh, Jeff Hammond. Well, man, you know, being a kid growing up and racing, I think everybody that races across America you know, we all have aspirations and dreams. And, you know, when I turned on that ESPN channel on Sunday afternoons or Sunday morning to watch the NASCAR race after we just got through racing at our local dirt track there in Texas, you know, you always heard about this guy, Jeff Hammond. You know, he was always the guy that his car was running up front or you see him in victory lane. And, and obviously the championships that Jeff's been a part of and that he's achieved with Daryl Waltrip. But, you know, you know, you're honored and blessed to be able to make it to that level, not to the cup level, but to the truck series and to the Xfinity series. And you get to meet Jeff and you understand why this guy is so – why he's become a legend. You know, his intensity, his, you know, competitiveness and the knowledge that he has on race cars, you know. And, and I'm, I'm, what an honor it is to have Jeff on our show. But, man, this guy has done so much in our industry – uh, he's a legend. We'll see him in the Hall of Fame, uh, I'm sure, sooner than later. But, uh, man, Jeff, just can't thank you enough, dude. What a big honor it is to have you on our podcast, and we really appreciate you. Welcome. Well, thank you, all of you. Thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, you can see I'm cheating a little bit because I want to put it out on my Facebook, let them know that I've been on your podcast and got an opportunity to talk to you today because, uh, you know, David, I've known you for a long time. You, you, know, you drove for Red Horse. You were a driver uh, when I was still a co-owner. Um, again, I, uh, I've watched you. I always try to keep up with you. We've been, you know, like I say, you're the kind of person I pick up the phone and call and ask a question or will you do me a favor or you got something you can help me out here with and you've done that. So uh, again, it's, it's a pleasure and I'm glad that you are, have got the tenacity to do what you do to do podcasts for one thing, but also the deals you put together to keep yourself in racing. I commend it. And uh, with that being said, folks, you guys got to tell me, how can you watch your podcast? We'll help you try to promote your podcast right quick. Dominic, you want to tell me? Sure, Jeff. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play. We also do have the YouTube version that goes up every Tuesday. And we do have social media, Star Podcast on Twitter as well as Facebook. And, Jeff, you can help us share some of those clips later on this week. We'll do it. We'll do it, guys. And we'll sure turn it off it. and we'll get serious now about what's going on. So, oh, yeah. what else do you want to know? Well, Jeff, <laughs> man, I hear Man, what it, first, it's just a big honor, man. But I, I want to go back from the beginning. You know, how did how did Jeff Hammond, you know, was Jeff Hammond a kid? Was your dad involved in racing? You know, was there a family member? How did how did Jeff Jeff Hammond get interesting interested in NASCAR auto racing? How how did that happen? Um, all of the above. When you live <laughs> in the Carolinas and you go on Sunday rides, Dad turns on the radio, and, and you listen to people like Barney Hall. Uh, we used to ride around on Sundays when I was growing up. And then I was 12 years old one Saturday morning. My uncle come to my bedroom, got me out of bed that morning. I said, come on, why don't you go with me? And where are we going? Have I got to work? He says, no, nah, you'll have fun. So we jump in his truck, and what, is he, what does he do? He drives down to Lancaster, South Carolina, picks up a 1956 Ford with a six-cylinder engine in it, 
and we started dirt racing. The first year, I helped my uncle. My dad saw how much we, uh, my, you know, I really liked doing it. My brother was kind of getting involved in it too. So the next year, we built our own car, and it became a family thing that we did uh, for the about, I don't know, next seven years, six or seven years, we were involved in dirt track racing all over the Carolinas. So it's amazing. A 1956 Ford is where Jeff Hammond started and how you built that knowledge from your, from your, your dad and your uncle. And, but man, it's amazing to hear how you started and, and where you ended up at, you know, and uh, when did, when did you under, when did you understand or have, think you had the knowledge that, did you ever dream or think that you was going to be a big time crew chief in NASCAR, be legendary? I mean, I mean, that was amazing. When did you know that you had the skills and you could go to NASCAR and help these racing teams be successful? Well, that's you doing the talking. Uh, with me, I'm still trying to figure out how you do it. But I just, I've gotten <laughs> sucked, sucked into this thing, and I just keep trying to hang around the sport. I mean, I love being in the game. But in, in all reality, my dad did a really good job. I mean, I, he taught me how to build engines. Uh, you know, he got a guy to come in and teach me how to, how to stick weld in the very beginning. Then we got a wire welder, and I continued. I, mean, I learned how to you know, build, bend roll bars and put cars together. Um, Tiger Tompa Stone. Wow. Anybody knows anything about racing? He's a legendary yeah. character and car builder. And, I mean, uh, today we're still really good friends. But you, you hang out with somebody like him, and it leads to a relationship through some other independents like Elmo Langley, Frank Warren, uh, Jim Vandiver. And you get to meet these guys, and, and they're a lot like, you know, a lot of teams, like your team probably. If you offer to help, they'll take free help, especially back then. I mean, they, they anybody would come in and clean the floor sweep the floors, clean the car up, uh, mount tires, dismount tires, whatever you could do to help them get to the next race. They were willing, and the, and the big payoff was, we'll pay you way for a pit pass the next upcoming weekend if you'll drive to the race and spend your own money to get there. That's really pretty much when my career started. Which was, was a uh, big deal. It was, was a big deal to be in a NASCAR race and be part of a racing team, wasn't it? No, you're, you're exactly right. And that's the whole thing is that, you know, you just keep working at it. And I finally met up with Walter Ballard and he had gotten a little bit of money from a, a company called uh, Rust Togs, which was Ty Scott and his family. So they, they bought two cars. They bought one, one car from uh, Kale Yarborough or should I say Junior Johnson. And then they built a new car uh, and that came via uh, Hutchison Pagan. So it really, it just escalated. It kept getting bigger and bigger with Walter's relationship with Junior Johnson. I met Herb Nab. Herb Nab eventually uh, came to me and said, hey, uh, you can drive a truck, you can weld, you can change tires. And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, well, come up to the shop. And this was after Darlington at the end of 1976. Will you come up to the shop and see whether or not uh, we maybe can work something out? I went in that morning, and I didn't leave that night till 8 o'clock, and that's the way I got started. That's amazing. I want to, and I want to, I'm going to go back to Walter Ballard. When I was a little boy in Houston, Texas, my dad was a crew chief for Tony Bittenhausen Jr. and Ronnie Chumley at Myers Speedway in Houston, Texas, half mile asphalt track. And there was a guy named A.J. Foyt. We might all know who he is. He had a car that competed. Another guy named Freddie Fryer, Neil Bonnet would come down and Bobby Allison occasionally. But Walter Ballard was from Houston, Texas. I remember as a little boy, three, four years old, sitting in the stands, watching Walter Ballard compete 
compete against those guys. And then I, you know, as I got older, I asked my dad, what happened to that Walter Waller guy? And he said, well, he, he moved to the Carolinas and he's NASCAR racing, you know, become a, uh, they called it NASCAR Grand National back then. And uh, Walter did well for himself. So it was kind of cool that you, that, that was your first, I guess your first cup team that you worked for in NASCAR, Jeff. Well, yeah, it was the most, the one that I worked for the most over that period of time. But I'll tell you another funny, the first guy that I ever helped, my dad helped in cup racing, was Tony Benton Jr. Housing. Tony Benton Housing Jr. The Vita Fresh, the Vita Fresh car. Uh, I knew Tony and helped work on his car. Um, Again, it's a small world. It is a small world. It's really, it's it's given a lot of great opportunities to myself, and. You know, like I say, I did, I've been blessed in so many different ways, but my, the best suggestion my dad ever made to me was don't go to work for one of these independent teams. Wait until you get a good deal. Well, my deal when it came along was an opportunity to work for Junior Johnson. And so I was there for 11 years, uh, worked with Kel Yarborough, worked with Daryl Walter, worked for uh, Terry Labonte for half a season too over there. So great drivers, great organization, great opportunity. And you can't help but learn if you if you are paying attention. I mean, that's really what it was all about. I was a sponge when it came to Junior, the way he tried to have philosophy, how he worked and built cars. And he made me better because he didn't tell me how to do it. He would tell me sometimes when I was doing it wrong. He'd walk by and say, I don't think I'd do it that way. And he wouldn't tell you how to fix it. He'd make you figure it out yourself. Because if he came back a second time, he'd say, you still ain't got it. He just keep walking. He would not stop and say, this is how you need to do it. You need to figure it out. And that's how he – I think he made me better as far as the mechanics concerned. And then on top of that, stand beside him on Sundays, listen to him call races early, you know, with uh, Kale. And then when it came my, my turn, I, I mean, I felt like I had a pretty good knowledge about strategy and what would need to be done. Uh, he taught me how to win races on fuel, fuel mileage and not make gambles early in the race, it would wind up costing you at, at the end of the race. So it, it was – we always used to laugh, David, about the fact that we all went, and I'm talking about everybody came through Junior Johnson's. We all attended the University of Rhonda at Ingle Hollow, and Junior Johnson was professor. Wow. He, was just, he was just a wonderful guy. Amazing story, Jeff, but – Unbelievable, man. Just I didn't know Junior Johnson. Obviously, read all about him and everything. But it's amazing to learn. You know, obviously he 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 saw something in you, and not everybody had that opportunity that you had. And he saw something special in you early on. And and uh, it's amazing to hear how what his philosophy was and and how how that worked out. You know, he never told you how to do it. He just let you know that you should look at maybe doing something different and uh, to have the confidence in you that you would figure it out. And uh, it's, just, it's just amazing. But, you know, man, just sitting here thinking of Kel Yarbrough and, 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 and Daryl Waltrip. I mean, I, I look at Jeff Hammond and Daryl Waltrip. I mean, I can't really think of another pairing. I mean, I just saw y'all win so many races. I think about Dale Inman and Richard Petty and, maybe Jeff Gordon and uh, Ray Evernham, but man, you guys, y'all were solid, man, and y'all won. Unbelievable, you know, and, and I sit here, and I guess I asked the question, would Daryl Walter be Daryl Walter if, if there wasn't no Jeff Hammond, you know what I mean? Because 
you know, is, is, is one of the top best race car drivers in the world. I don't care how talented you are. If you don't have something to race, if you don't have a good solid car underneath you, which is that's what yourself and the, and the team you built around you there at juniors, if you don't supply that to Daryl Walter, Daryl Walter w- w- wouldn't become Daryl Walter, you know? So that's kind of the way I, I see it, Jeff. <laughs> well, I appreciate you putting it in that perspective. But at the same time, trust me, Daryl Walter <laughs> was destined to be Daryl Walter, okay, with or without Jeff Hammond. I mean, he would go through as many crew chiefs or personnel he would have needed to get where he needed to go. I think that I came along and what I possessed that really set me apart from a lot of guys that work with, uh, with Daryl is I would let him say what he needed to say, and I would never talk back. I mean, I, we had some bumped heads a couple times, but most of the time I was a sounding board. I was a coach. I was a cheerleader. I was all the things that he needed to keep him in, in a focus to where he could go do what he did best, which was drive race cars. He loved to hear lap times. He loved to hear people cheering him on. Anybody that's listened to the radio of Martin Truex Jr. Uh, back when, you know, when he was driving the 78 and you heard uh, – Clayton Hughes, his spotter, you know, that's the way Daryl and I talk to one another. You know, hey, man, you're my hero, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, just he liked to have a cheerleader telling him, and position number one, the number 11, driven by Daryl Walter. Go get him, buddy. Go get him. You just keep him pumped up. And if things were going wrong, be willing to take whatever he's saying to you, you know, just absorb it. We always believed that no matter what was said on Sunday, was for God on Monday. It wasn't personal. It was in the heat of the battle. And whatever it took for us to get by that battle, whether we went to victory lane or whether we struggled all day long and and got a top 10 out of it, we dealt with that on Monday morning in a positive manner. So I I got lucky. I raised my hand at the right time to want to be Daryl Walter's crew chief when Tim Brewer in 1981 walked away. He went back with Kale down at MC Anderson. So the door was open, and I walked in and said, Junior, looking for a crew chief. Would you give me a shot? And fortunately for me, Junior gave me a shot. So, Man, Jeff, that's, that's awesome. I, I would say you win together, you lose together, and y'all had something special. Y'all knew each other that well. You knew what he needed, and uh, you, knew, you knew how to work how to work with him and how to cheer him and give him lap times. But – Unbelievable, man. Just unbelievable stories. It's just uh, – I just love hearing the stories. We could sit on here for hours and talk about stories, you know. But uh, but that's, that's pretty cool, you know, pretty cool deal. But uh, uh, so what year was that, Jeff, when you became Daryl's crew chief? Uh, uh, 1982, three, four? <laughs> yeah, it was 1982. Uh, at the end of the season, like I said, Tim Brewer and those guys, they left. And then Junior put me in charge in 1982 and took over there. We just came off an unbelievable season in 81. We won 12 races that year in a championship. But we came back the next year, whole new group, myself kind of leading it. And we won 12 more races in another championship. So it it was important for us to show that it was Junior Johnson and Associates, Daryl Waltrip, and the car number 11 team that made us great. 
Absolutely. So you were paying attention in 1981 when y'all won those 12 races in the championship. I don't, I don't know what your role was, but you were obviously all ears and a sponge and obviously working right in the middle of it. So you knew exactly when you, when you got handled the opportunity, what you needed to do. Well, we and have, I, I want to so say one thing. Right. I want to say one thing. You said you were lucky and I, you might put a little bit of that in there, but I think Jeff Hammond created the opportunity in the drive and, and, and probably junior seen what kind of passion you have and you were driven. And I think you had a lot to do with it, having that opportunity. You know, you can call it luck, but I, I don't call it luck. I think you, you worked hard and deserved the opportunity and took advantage of the opportunities that were presented to you. So it's pretty cool, you know, pretty cool to hear, hear those stories and how that became about. Well, I do, I do appreciate that. But uh, again, I'll still say, you know, you, you got to be in the right place at the right time. And the good Lord was willing to put me in a lot of the right places at the right time uh, around the right people. Uh, I am passionate about racing. I love racing. Always have. I guess I always will. But um, still, you know, you have to be a little bit lucky to go along with everything else. I mean, I still, I still aspire to the theory that I'd rather be lucky than good any day. Yeah, that's awesome. Jeff Hammond joining us here on episode number 15 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Jeff, you mentioned about Darrell Waltrip and the relationship you guys had winning that 85 Cup championship, going over to Hendrick and winning the 89 500. You go with him over to form Darrell Waltrip Motorsports. And of course, you guys worked together for a long time at Fox, too. Tell us about just working with Darrell over the years and just what it was like, that relationship that, that carried on even beyond the, the Junior Johnson days. Well, I mean, what's so weird about it, he's retired, and I should say we're both not doing television right now, but we still stay in touch. Uh, matter of fact, I talked to him just two days ago, uh, seeing what I had going on, what he had going on. Uh, I still – we're friends. I mean, we are friends. I mean, he's uh, – I liken him to a certain degree of like having the older brother that I never had. And we did a lot of things together. We experienced a lot of things together uh, from winning to, to dealing with loss of parents to our children. I mean, you know, my oldest son, Colt, and his daughter, Jessica, are very much you know, the same age. Uh, and we're now we're sharing information about our grandkids. So uh, <laughs> we continue on. And it's I – don't, I don't, I'd not really thought too much about it till you brought it up. But I guess to a certain degree, this is what it means when you say, you know, we've been lifelong friends because I've known Daryl since he showed up um, in the late 70s around NASCAR. But I just really wasn't really good friends with him till we got together at juniors. As a matter of fact, guys, if you don't tell nobody, I hated Daryl when he first came to Junior Johnson's. I mean, Cale Yarbrough was my man. I mean, I thought Kale walked on water, and when Daryl showed up, man, this is the cat that we used to kick his butt every Sunday and win championships over. So when Daryl showed up, he was different. And that first year, you know, you talk about paying attention. I tried to pay attention, but at the same time, I was also that little bit of a smart ass that was always around the shop whenever Daryl said, we need to do this different. Why? Well, it'll be better. Why? It kicked your ass at Nashville last time we raced. I mean, why do we want to change something that ain't broke? So it, we butted heads in 81. 
But at the end of 81, I saw how smart he was, how good he was. And it's like, they got to open as a crew chief. And I want to be that guy because this cat's going places. And to be honest with you, I want to ride his coattails to the top. And, and it worked out well. I mean, there again, I'd rather be lucky than good. Hey, Jeff, I want to say that I'm sure there's not many people back in, in that time and, and hearing this stories is incredible, but who would challenge Daryl Walter? I mean, there's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you look at Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, you know, you don't, you don't, I, I don't know. You, you look at that level that you were at the top of the top. Y'all were the best of the best. Uh, and, and you don't have people challenge your drivers like you did. And I, and I, I'd had to say that, that if you asked Daryl Walter, that was probably one of the things that he said, I want this guy on my side because he's got his own theory and his own opinion. And he challenges me and he probably hadn't had that, you know, in a long time or ever. Well, I, I can't really speak to that at that period, but uh, he did ask Junior to leave me at the shop except for race days. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. And did, uh, you know, and I, not being a part of it, but man, I read about it and heard about it. But they, uh, Daryl Walter, they called him Jaws, you know. So I guess he liked to talk a lot back in the late '70s, middle '70s, and uh, that's funny to say that you you didn't care for him right at the start. But uh, y'all learn. There is, uh, like I said, I, I believe your ability and what y'all did together. That part of it was going to put you in the Hall of Fame. I'm surprised you're not already in there. And, and, again, it's sooner than later. It's coming. And, uh, but, man, one thing cool about y'all's relationship and one thing that I've always thought about our industry is the relationships will last a lifetime. The racing side, the competition side, which we're passionate about, we love, that will come to an end one day. And, and I hate, to, you know, I hate it when that happens, but the relationships last a lifetime. And, I think we lost David there for a second. We'll get him back in. But nonetheless, uh, Jeff, uh, David there talking about the relationships. Just tell us about those relationships, what they meant to you. Well, I think that the thing is, and what David's point is, Daryl and I had something special. But if you really step back and look at that garage area, you will see multiple relationships. I mean, two of the guys that I respected the most, in that garage area when I was growing up and coming into the end of the sport were Dale Lemon and Leonard Wood. I mean, they were just masters at what they did. And, you know, Richard Petty was the number one guy that I grew up with. And number two was Fireball Roberts. They were two, them, they were my two favorite drivers. And to be able to be around uh, Inman, see how he carried and how that team performed and how he tried to – the way they presented themselves was always important to me. And it's the same thing with Leonard Wood. You know, the white pants, the blue shirts, the red shirts, whichever ones they wanted to wear, you know, they were always buttoned up. And they were always good. When they unloaded, you knew you had to beat that 21 car. I mean, that, that was a guarantee. And then you throw Bobby Allison, other people like that, Bud Moore, having – having the opportunity to grow up around Bud Moore, a Hall of Famer, as well as, I mean, a guy who landed landed on Normandy, D-Day. 
I mean, he was, he was just such a unique individual, but we were always friends from that point on. I mean, being in the, in the industry, as long as I've been in and watching all these guys, how they interact after all these years, it truly is like having a family reunion every weekend when you go to the track, because you see friends, you, you see people that you respect and it, and it develops a really strong bond. And I don't care whether you're a driver or a crew member or spotter, you know, it's the bond that you make and the bond that you create between people that lasts forever. It really does. And David, I think, I think you're the same way. I mean, you've got a lot of respect in that garage. You've been around a long time. You've been, you run all the series. Everybody knows that David Starr is, is a, is a good racer. He's won races and he's going to put forth 110% when he gets behind that wheel and he does it in a gentlemanly way. You're always respectful. And I think that's something that goes a long way. Uh, at least for somebody like me, I look at different drivers and the ones that are disrespectful, to each other or has a, a demeaning type of, of attitude, I don't really have a whole lot of respect for him. And I don't really pull for him to have a long career. You know, I, I, I'm just being honest with you guys. I mean, I think it's important that you always respect the people that are out there that you're racing with, number one, but you also should respect the people that have been in the sport and that will be coming into the sport and help people, you know, support them along the way. That's just my kind of my philosophy. Well, man, Jeff, I appreciate the, uh, those kind words. Uh, one of the things I was sit sitting here and thinking about, just hearing your stories, un unbelievable. You know, uh, if there was a season or a race, you know, you, you always remember, you remember everything, but if there was a season that you look back on and was very special or, or one that you should have won a championship and you didn't or a special race, I know that 1989 Daytona 500 was probably really special to you, but what season stands out or what race stands out, you know, to, to Jeff Hammond? Because you've done so much, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, your books. There's just so much to Jeff Hammond and Jeff Hammond's racing career. To ask you a question about what season or what race stands out, be interesting to hear your, your you know, to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, if I'm going to pick a season out uh, as, as good as multiple seasons were, the one that I felt like um, – we pulled the rabbit out of the hat. We, we actually played over our heads against the odds is 85. Um, back then, you know, Elliot was coming into his own and that Thunderbird that they were racing at that time. I mean, it was just bad fast. Right. And the Chevrolets were not where they needed to be. So we, uh, we, it's, it, we had to struggle to get wins, but we got a lot of seconds and a lot of thirds. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is we had a lot of top five finishes and we kept the pressure on by doing that. And whenever Bill made a mistake, we were able to, you know, gain ground, gain ground on him. But the weekend that really kind of, I think, defined who we were and what sticks out in my mind had to be the Charlotte race, the Coca-Cola 600, along with the inaugural Winston. And Junior really wanted to win that race. Daryl wanted to win that race. I mean, it was, you know, $200,000 up for grabs. So we built a special car for it. And we worked on it, we worked on it, worked on it, tested it, tested it, tested it. And we came down to Charlotte, obviously passed here again on the last lap, won the race. Well, that was kind of like the beginning of the story because 
after the race, Junior goes to then Dick Beatty, director of competition, and says, Dick, we were wondering, can we withdraw our 600 car, take the engine and everything out of it, and put it back in this chassis and everything, and race it on Sunday in the 600? Dick says, okay, why do you want to do that? Well, we qualified fourth, but we're willing to go to the back if we can do that. Dick says, well, no reason why you can't. You can withdraw and, and re-enter. And so Junior said, okay, well, we're going to do that. So we started taking the car apart. Remember now, we blew an engine at the end of the day. So we had to clean all the oil system. We took everything off of the primary 600 car and transferred it to the Winston car. And we worked on it late that evening and came back in real early that morning. And also got to remember, that was back when we used to run the 600 starting at 1230 on Sunday. So we'd work real hard to get everything going. Well, about 8.30 that morning, Dick Beatty comes around and he says, I've gotten a call from Daytona. Bill France Jr. has said, you can't do what you're doing. So you're going to have to go put everything back in your other car and race your other car. Wow. Well, Junior Johnson goes ballistic. I mean, he is beside himself. Dick, I asked you point blank. You told me your director of competition. Why did you not tell them that you told him we could and stick by it? He said, I got overrode. You're going to have to do that. Well, I think we're just going to load up and go home. He said, well, that's your call. So now Daryl and I get involved with Junior. Junior, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> wow. We'll get it fixed because we're running for a championship here. We just can't miss a race. You know, right. that ain't going to work. I don't care. I, he said, I'm ready to go home. I said, I don't do that. So we get everything put back in the other car. I mean, we are busting butt checking everything. And we had a good car. We, that car was decent. The other car was just a little better. So you always want to have a little better. Sure. We literally are rolling this car out on the line and they're playing the national anthem. Wow. So we're sticking Daryl down in the car. Last minute, everything is just rush, 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 rush. And we had spent a lot of energy from Saturday. Cause you got to realize we ran the Winston on Saturday and run the 600 on Sunday. So we took the other car, went out there, and we kicked their asses. So we won Saturday, and we won Sunday. And on Monday morning, we're sitting at the start-finish line right outside of where I'm at here at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the start-finish line with two race cars with huge wins, you know, both of them. And they're doing a split screen. And guess who's in Indianapolis? That was a year that Danny Sullivan did the spin and win. And we're on Good Morning America. Dude, that, what a story, Jeff. God, that's amazing, man. So, but I mean, that, that was the whole season, David. I mean, that that was the catalyst to saying, don't tell us we can't. Because we won Coca-Cola race, and then we came back and won Rockingham late in the year, and we overtook Bill Elliott and wound up taking the championship away from him after he had like nine or ten races, 11 races, something like that. He'd won that year. Amazing man. for – Unbelievable, man, for Dick Beatty to get the call from, from corporate, from NASCAR, tell them, hey, they can't change the cars, and junior, and then Junior being madder than hell. And then you and Daryl had to go to your, your car owner and say, we can, we can do this, Junior. We can do it. Man, what a story. And then the, the effort that yourself and your team put together to even have the car to get it turned around and, and to get it on the on the starting grid during the national anthem, then to win that race, amazing, man! Wow, unbelievable. 
like I say, you, you know, you don't make it up, but it's just that's the way it happened. That's the way it played out. And, you know, we – when it was all said and done, I think we felt like we could climb Mount Everest if we needed to. The group of guys we had and the never quit attitude that we, we brought in there after that, we just felt like, you know, we still got a good chance of winning this championship. Even though we're fighting Goliath, we can bring him down. If we just keep <laughs> stay in there, keep bobbing and weaving, and don't let up. And Daryl turned on the mind game, and Bill Elliott wasn't ready for Daryl Walters' mind games. And it finally, it, it, he finally made enough mistakes that we were able to overcome them, even though they won a ton of races. He, and that was the year he was million-dollar bill. I mean, that's how good yeah. he was. Man, but, that was uh, amazing. To beat him that year was, was, was huge. That's great. That's great. Uh, we got time for one more question before we get to our oh, news and notes. So I want to ask you just real quick, Jeff. Uh, you know, somebody like me, for example, Jeff, you know, I, I'm too young. I didn't get to see you as a crew chief too much. But I remember watching you every week on Fox, you know, in the, in the Hollywood Hotel with Chris and – working with Daryl and Larry and Mike Joy. I mean, you guys had so much fun every week. And, I mean, that was just the, the you know, it was must-see TV. What you guys were doing, it was better than what anyone else was producing out there. I mean, it was just incredible the, guy, the job that you guys did to, to teach the sport to guys like Dominic, Dominic and I. Um, was just amazing. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the growth in NASCAR – is owed to what you guys did of the way you presented the sport through those years. Tell me about working for Fox for that time period with, uh, with, with that group there uh, and, and with the coverage you guys did. Well, I think when you think about Fox, a lot of people may not realize this, but David Hill was running a ship and David Hill is a crazy Australian who basically put Fox in, in, in the NFL and a lot of things that happened in the NFL when Fox came on board was because of him. Uh, another one of our executives, Ed Gorn, um, Bill Brown, and I'm going to leave somebody out here, but those, those three guys, they made it happen. And, and it was all about personalities and trying to put people in positions that they knew what they were talking about. And, and I think if you look at the group that is still there today from Terry Bradshaw um, you know, the, the entire group were ex-players with championships and wins. And that's what they try to do with us. I mean, they, you know, they bring in Mike Joy, who was, you know, second to none when it comes to being an announcer. You put Larry Mack up there. You know, he's worked with and won races with Dale Earnhardt and Davey Allison and Ernie Irvin. Uh, you got me working down there in the hotel uh, with Myers, who knew nothing about racing. But he's a great traffic cop. He, he knew at how to ask the questions that a lot of fans would be wondering. And he throw Daryl in the mix, who basically he can, he can talk the ears off an elephant. You know, I mean, he can, he can put a spin on about anything. And if, if he doesn't have the answer, he'll think one up. You know, it's just he, he's, he's unique when it comes to doing it. And we just – we made it fun. We made it fun. We made it exciting. And I think that that was all a tribute to the executives that put us in that position and brought in great people to work on Pitt Road and Steve Burns. I mean, this Dick Bergman. You, you go down that list and uh, Matt Yoakum, I don't leave anybody out, but that's, you know, that was it. I mean, that was the reason why 
we were able to capture, I think, the, the viewing audience because they had never seen racing the way we tried to show them. And we had never been shown a car, you know, that's cut apart so you can understand what's going on. Because anytime anybody got close with a camera in the garage area, people were covering it up because they didn't want to be seeing it. But we created one that generic parts, but the, the fundamentals were there. So we were telling the one-on-one to Grandma Moses sitting over in the corner where she could understand it. That was the, the other thing is be able to tell why and explain why in such a way, dumb it down, take all the technology terms out of it. And if you're going to use a wedge term, make sure you're able to explain, oh, that's the amount of space you got underneath your right rear tire. And if you run a little angle there, that's what you call wedge, which tells you how the weight distribution is on your race car. So trying to create all that and, and realize you've got a short window to say what you've got to say, be precise, try to alleviate, uh, well, and you know, because if you knew, you wouldn't be asking. So yeah. get to the point, say what you got to say, and move on. You know, never went to broadcast school. We all learned from one another. Uh, we had great producers and directors. So it uh, it happened. I mean, that's all I can say. And I'm just so excited when I look back and I think about, you know, I was a part of that. And I'm just as proud of that as my 11 years at Junior Johnson, my time I spent at Rick Hendrick, Jack Roush. I mean, you go down the list, the people I've been blessed to be able to work for, the drivers I've been around. I mean, I knew after working seven races with Kurt Busch at Jack Roush, I knew that cat could win, or win a championship. I was in Vegas later on that year when the season ended. I went out there, and Kurt asked me to come to one of his fan club uh, dinners and, and celebrations. And I told him, I said, he's going to win a championship. The cat's too darn good. He's got to feel like Darrell Walter. He's got a tenacity like a Kale Yarber. He will get it done, and he's, he's done that. He's had his ups and downs, but he's, he's a hell of a race car driver. That's awesome. That's great. All right, a few more things before we go. Let's get to our NASCAR news and notes. Dominic, what a win for Kyle Larson to get back into victory lane last Sunday. Absolutely. Four different races to begin the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season, and we have four different winners. So Kyle Larson took the checkered flag at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in the Pennzoil 400, ending Joey Logano's run at a possible three-peat in the NASCAR race. So that makes Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell and William Byron, your winners in 2021 thus far. Jeff, we'll start with you. What's your reaction to Kyle Larson getting it done and having the fourth different winner for the first four races here? All I can say is everybody better watch out because this cat right here, he showed he, he was on fire running dirt tracks last year. He had a point to prove that he was still a great race car driver. He came back, and I think the most important thing that I have seen in the first four races is – I don't think he has accidentally bounced it off the wall anywhere. Well, that tells me he's got race cars that are fast enough and he can drive well enough. He doesn't have to keep them up on a ragged edge. And you know what I mean by that, David? Because yeah. sometimes you're trying to make up and you're up there. You're, you, you got you to manhandle a race car. That's yeah. when you step over that edge and you hit the wall. I think right now he's in probably the best piece of equipment He's ever had while he's been driving cup. No disrespect for Chip Ganassi, but I think this number five is a potential and legitimate contender for the championship after this four races. What do you think, David? Oh, man, just 
Jeff hit it right. You hit it on the head. You know, hit the nail on the head. I mean, not a big surprise. Kyle Larson, just the the talent. You know, and uh, you know when you, when you had heard that Rick Hendred had hired Kyle Larson, you knew that pairing was going to be a great one. And knowing the Hendrick Motorsports, you, you go back to what they've done over the years. Jeff was a part of the their winning history, and uh, I mean, and I think Jeff, you know, it's he's going to be a contender for the championship. He's, he's a tender contender for next week at, 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 at Phoenix. I mean, and like Jeff said, a lot of times we, we don't have a piece of equipment underneath us. We're trying to do everything we can overdrive the car, get what the car is not giving us. You bounce off the wall. You're just doing all you can. And this guy, I mean, he was a class of the field Sunday. It was impressive to watch, but not surprising at all. And, and uh, I look for him to win many, many more races in 2021, and he will be a contender for the championship, no doubt about it. All right, there you have it. Let's go ahead and get to our final segment, our Ask David segment. We ask you to submit questions on Facebook, Twitter, and email at Star Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and by email, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. And we got questions for both David and Jeff. Jeff, we'll start with you. The uh, first one is uh, you played college football. Where did you play? What position did you play, Jeff? <laughs> I played down at uh, East Carolina, and I played uh, for a coach for one season. Now, guys, I got hurt down there, so I, I backed away and came to racing. But I got to pl play for the legendary Pat Dye, who was, uh, you know, Auburn's coach for, for many years and um, – Pretty, pretty impressive guy to have worked for and played for because he was just coming from being an assistant coach for Bear Bryant, from Bear Bryant uh, at Alabama. So uh, I played cornerback. I was outside, you know, outside guy. That's cool. That's really cool. David, did did did, uh, did you get to see Jeff uh, play some football at all or anything? No, I didn't. But man, you look at Jeff and you've seen him throughout the years and. Uh, he looked like a freaking uh, linebacker, man. I, I wouldn't want to get hit by him, you know what I'm saying? Golly, you know, and, and <laughs> Jeff knows what I'm talking about. I mean, you look at Jeff Hammond today, I mean, his built, his physique. I mean, he's, you know, j just as tough as he is as a crew chief, a competitor, that tenacity that Jeff has. I mean, I I'd feel sorry for somebody even today, I'd bet with Jeff Hammond <laughs> if they wanted to challenge him, you know what I mean? Guy's pretty, uh, pretty stout. I'm a pussycat, you know? Dave. Come on now. I'm a pussycat. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I, I, I don't want to take on that pussycat. That's for sure, dude. <laughs> and I feel sorry for anybody that attempts to do it, too, you know. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, no doubt about it, you know. Uh, so, uh, I didn't see Jeff play football, but I can assure you it was something to see. Oh, that's great. I, I like that. Uh, here's the uh, next question that we have. This one comes from Ann on uh, Twitter. Ann writes, uh, this one's to both you guys. With Phoenix being the championship race, is there anything you can take away from this race coming up and apply it to the final race of the season? We'll start with David this time. David, what do you think? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, the last time we ran there in November – I think we started 35th, 36th, and uh, and I was my crew chief was asking me about my car. I mean, it was before the segment was over, and uh, so man, I'm a little tight down here in one and two. But uh, but he said, well, hey, you're you're in tenth. I'm like, we're in tenth, 
And uh, so we said, hey, your car must not be too bad. But we were also running up against the wall. They had put that, uh, P, uh, I forget what you call it, the sticky P PJ1. What do you call it, Jeff? PJ1. The PJ1 on the racetrack. And, man, it was just a high side. It was amazing how our, you could get in the corner, get in pretty good. The car would roll the center. And he had some great forward bite off corner. And my car was incredible down there in one and two. And I haven't heard if they'll be using that stuff for, for next weekend. So that, that makes a difference, you know. So uh, I think anytime you go to a racetrack, you're going to go back to it. You can learn a lot of things. And I think uh, a lot of the teams will be trying different things. And uh, obviously, if you have a good run, you, you got a good notebook from years past. But uh, I think it's important. You know, these big teams, they, they got big notebooks. They got simulators. There's so much technology out there. Uh, that gives them the tools that they need to put a great race track, uh, race car underneath them when they unload off the off the trailer because there's no practice, no qualifying. But uh, I definitely think it's a benefit. Now, er everything you're saying, David, you're, you're spot on. You, you never want to pass up an opportunity to add a page to your notebook. You don't have testing. The only way you can do simulations is have accurate information to put in that simulator if you want to get anything good out of it. So laps you're running there with, and if you especially got a big team everybody is going to give something and contribute something to the, to the pot that these engineers are going to take out and look at and try to make determination about side loads, down force, how much clearance can we get by with. Uh, all these things are very important. And for them to have this opportunity early in the season gives them quite a while to figure something out for when they really need it the most, which will be that final race when they come back here in November. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about this uh, this race uh, there at Phoenix. Uh, Chase Elliott, of course, won back in uh, November and won the uh, championship. Jeff, what are you expecting this time? What's it going to take to get into victory lane? Do you think we'll see a fifth different winner for the first five races? Well, I think there's still a, and a really good reason to believe that because the guys who haven't won, we've got a lot of different winners right now that we weren't expecting to win. And when you look at it and from that viewpoint and you start making a list over here and start talking about, well, who, who would you put in that list? Well, you know, Denny Hamlin, he hadn't been to victory lane yet. He's up there good, running well. Uh, Kyle Busch is going to be, you know, wanting to do well. How about Kevin Harvick? This used to be Kevin Harvick's racetrack, and he always runs well there. And they haven't run well at all, you know, this year compared to a season ago. So when you start looking at the big picture, I think that what you got to worry about, at least you touched on one guy, Chase Elliott. He won here the last time he was here. His two teammates have already gone to victory lane. He's got another teammate in Alex Bowman. Guess where his hometown is? Phoenix. And, and he ran there the first race he showed up. He laid a bunch, led a bunch of laps uh, in Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s car when he was subbing for him. So, Hendrick Motorsports is going to be, I think, the organization you got to look at and worry about, number one, because they've got the two wins already. But unexpected drivers to a certain degree this early. But you also got to look at Team Penske. They run really good there. And they didn't run bad this past weekend. They had uh, all three of their cars inside the top nine. This is going to be a good racetrack for them. But I said Hamlin, Harvick, even Martin Truex Jr. Don't overlook these guys. So – my suggestion to everybody, pull your belts tight one more time, as Larry Mack likes to say, and <laughs> tune it in because it's going to be a fun race this weekend. 
I love it. David, what do you think? Who are the guys you're looking at to contend on Sunday? Man, just everything uh, Jeff was saying, you know, you look like Jeff was saying, you look at the guys, you know, you look at the Stuart Haas, Kevin Harvick, he, that was his place, you know, and, and, and seemed like since the season started in 2021, the, the Stuart Haas cars aren't what they've been in the past. So I look at Kevin to have a good run. And then I want to talk about somebody that Jeff Gordon, um, that uh, Je Jeff Hammond is close to, Kurt Busch. I've been watching Kurt Busch this year. Man, he's had some fast race cars. Now, they've had some things happen to him that's kept him out of victory lane, but he's consistently been good since the start of the season. I wouldn't be surprised to see the number one Kurt Busch back in victory lane. So I wouldn't see, be surprised to see another new winner for 2021 that we hadn't seen since the season started back in victory lane, you know? So there's a, there's a lot of guys that can win the race that haven't won a race in 2021. It's, I don't know who's going to win, but it's going to be a great race. And I'm looking forward to going down the race and myself and to watching the cup race. No doubt about it. Now, Dominic, you're going to be making the trip out there. You and David are going to be meeting up probably at the Olive Garden or a Whataburger or something like that. Uh, but tell us what you're looking forward to about being out there at Phoenix. Man, I'm just looking forward to getting back on the road. I'm used to going to 10 to 15 races a year, so I'm just very grateful to be able to go to one so far this year and soak in some Phoenix sun, get some Whataburger out in the Phoenix area for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, just looking forward to being at the racetrack. I've been to the last 14 Phoenix race weekends, so there's no way I can miss this. There you have it. All right, give me one name. Let's go around the room. We'll start with Dominic. Who do you like to win Sunday? Let's go Chase Elliott. Your defending champion is going to get it done and take his first victory of 2021. Okay. I'll take Kevin Harvick. I might just pick Kevin every week until he wins because it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Uh, Do D David, who you got Sunday? I'm going to take Kurt Busch. Okay. Okay. How about you, Jeff? Well, you took the guy that I was thinking about going with because I think this is a great opportunity for, uh, for him to kind of get off that uh, mark and get back to victory lane. I'm talking about Kevin Harvick. But in this situation right here, I think I'm going to go with the guy second in points right now. Had a good run this past weekend. How about Brad Keselowski for Team Penske? Absolutely. Ooh, Absolutely. I like that. I yeah. like that. That sounds good, too. All right, guys. Guys, real, real quick. Go ahead. I want to say one thing. I've got my camera rolling again because I know we're getting close to the end of the show. It's been a pleasure being here. But, Dominic, one more time, or David, one, y'all tell me how we can find this podcast because I think we had a lot of fun here today. I thank the viewers, my, my Facebook folks would love to see it. Absolutely. Look us up on Twitter, yeah. David star podcast. You can find us on YouTube as well, the video version. So they're going to see you with your iPhone sticking out there. I think that's pretty awesome as well as Spotify, Apple, Google play. You have all the major platforms there. You can also email the show at David star podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, there you have it. Let's, yeah, let's thank go you for racing. Me, Jeff, I'll, yeah, ahead. absolutely. I want to... uh, before we before we go, Jeff, uh, just tell us what you're up to. I know that these days you have the the great Sirius XM radio show you're doing. We hear you, you and Brad Doherty having a good time, and you're still, you know, last year you were working with a truck team and such. What what are you just up to nowadays? Where can people uh, catch up with you? What you're up to now? Well, I am still doing the late shift with Brad Gilly on Sirius XM Radio 90. And at the same time, uh, when I get done with you guys, I'm going to walk over to the other studio. I'm actually at the PRN studio now, and I'm going to do Pit Reporters uh, with Brett McMillan. So it'll be airing, you know, later on. So I'm staying busy there, and I'm also still in the cattle business, uh, trying to make good hamburger for Whataburger. Uh, <laughs> been counting cows and, and taking care of mama cows the last uh, few months. 
got 35 head on the ground right now, 35 baby calves so far, and uh, our herd's building back up. I guess we're up over 100, 120 heads, so uh, that keeps me busy. But we're also working a lot of other things, and that's what this Facebook's all about, just trying to get people out there to know that we're still in the game, and we, we want to stay in the game. I like it. That's great. David, you're still in Vegas. When are you making out to uh, Phoenix there? And we'll be headed out Thursday afternoon. We're still here working on our Phoenix car. And, uh, you know, here in the garage area here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the, the racetrack's been nice enough to let us stay here and work. And uh, looking forward to getting to Phoenix. But I, I wanted to say, hey, Jeff, I wanted to tell you again how much we appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, man, our fans that listen to our podcast, they're going to love to hear your stories. And, man, what an honor it is to have a future Hall of Fame crew chief and, and to do everything you've done to join us and share a lot of your stories with you. It's been very, very educational. I've, I've enjoyed it. So we really appreciate you, buddy. So thank you. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. And again, you know, I can't tell you how much fun I had when you drove for us at Red Horse and the friendship that we developed. Yeah. And I wish you well this weekend. Um, if you keep having trouble, some of them guys can't figure gas and everything, call me and I'll come out there and I'll crew chief <laughs> and be, and, or be an engineer up on the box. I mean, I love doing that. And, and trying to keep up because you run better sometimes than where you finish. And I know that. And uh, if I could help you get better, let me know. I, I, I would be glad to come once again, uh, dust off my old wind up watches and uh, sit up on that box and help you out. It would be to our benefit to make that phone call. I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I'd love it. Uh, let's make the reunion happen. Uh, Dominic, what's going on in the racing experts this week? Just follow our coverage along at theracingexperts.com, our daily updates of what's going on in the sport. As well, guys, as we're starting weekly giveaways with the Star Podcast social media. So there's autographed photos. If you're watching the YouTube version, you're seeing the, the little photos that we have right now. You can win one of four autographed David Star photos. We're going to be doing this every week, so be sure to stay tuned for that and how to be eligible for all that. So a lot of fun stuff here down the pipe. Oh, yeah. This has been fun, Jeff. We appreciate you joining us Uh Coming full circle, I don't know if you remember this, Jeff, but uh, about 10 years ago on my own podcast, uh, I was about 15 years old, and somehow I got a hold of you, and you came on my show, and one of, were one of my first big interviews. And so it's, uh, it's a pleasure catching up again uh, after all these years. So don't be a stranger. You're welcome back anytime. Well, guys, I really do appreciate it. I've enjoyed this past hour, and um, I'm glad you, you, know, you stuck with what you were good at. You know, you had you had a good show then, and I'm glad right now you've continued on. You've helping helping keep David straight. And uh, again, I love it when I see people who have found our sport, David. I mean, these guys right here—they're the future. They're the ones that's going to keep people out there educated and informed. And you know, let's face it—we don't all sit in front of televisions. You got to get it out there where they can reach it to it on their on their phone, iPhone or iPad, as well as out on their computers and stuff. So. Uh, Keep up the good work, guys. Appreciate it. Thank On you. that note, we got to go. For David Starr, Dominic Aragon, Jeff Hammond, I'm Tyler Jones. We'll put the checkered flag out on episode number 15 of Let's Go Racing, and we'll see you next week. So long, everybody.